Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we'll share weekly messages as well as other resources we hope helps you as you seek to grow and know Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can connect with us, visit bcwc.org. In my church growing up, we had this stained glass window that was installed, a depiction of Jesus knocking at the door. They installed it when I was a kid. And we have a big stained glass in the back of the sanctuary. Um, If you've noticed it, it's beautiful. Jesus being baptized, like we talked about a few weeks ago. But unlike our stained glass, which has these incredible lights that are on a timer or something, I don't know, thank you trustees, however you figured that out, it's illuminated at night, so it's beautiful. In my church growing up, they spent the money on the stained glass and not the lighting. And so when you would come in at night, it was just this kind of dark, weird, creepy window. As a child, I didn't know what it was. You kind of saw maybe some floating robes or something. You couldn't tell what was going on because without the light coming through the window, it was just this sort of blob. And I tell you this story because I think sometimes our connection to God feels like that stained glass window in my old church. There are times in our faith and our life when we see Jesus so clearly Or maybe when you first came to faith, when everything was fresh and invigorating, there are times also where it feels like we can't see Jesus at all. Maybe like the stained glass, you you know Jesus is there, but you can't really see him. Maybe there are times we're not even sure if God is there at all. Today in the church calendar is Transfiguration Sunday. It's the Sunday before we begin the Lenten season where we remember this story in the New Testament that reveals more about Jesus in a way that astounded his disciples. The word in the story, transfigured, is a bizarre word. It means to reveal like a mystery or to appear like a stained glass window when it is hit by light. Now this is not a text that I often Turn to. In fact, I've never preached on this text before because I find it to be kind of bizarre and confusing sometimes, you know, and I wasn't there. So it's hard to imagine, to capture this incredible thing as you read about it. In fact, I get a little bit jealous of these disciples who had this up close encounter with the divine, this seeing Jesus in this incredible way because for me, sometimes God feels far away. Here in the text, we have this ultimate mountaintop experience, encounter with God. But rarely do you and I find ourselves on the mountaintop, right? Most of the time, we're not there. But as I've been studying this text this week, I think I've discovered that perhaps this story of transfiguration is not so much a story for when We're on the mountaintop. But it's a story that helps us when God seems far away. So we're going to turn to Mark's gospel this morning. We'll be in Mark chapter 9. We'll start in verse 2. And I hope we see something about this big reveal of Jesus. This is Mark 9, starting in verse 2. The text says this. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain, apart 
by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling bright, such as no one on earth could brighten them. And there appeared to him Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Right in the middle of Mark, we find this odd story. So far this year, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark. We've looked at these stories in the first chapter. And in each story, we have these stories of deep connection. Jesus right with people. Jesus is up close and at work, healing, restoring relationships. And now Jesus is on a mountain, dazzling in unbelievably white clothes. And with him are two heroes of the Hebrew Bible, the prophet Elijah and Moses, who led the people out of slavery and towards the promised land. It's a weird story. Jesus' three closest disciples are with him. Peter, who we met back when his name was Simon at the beginning of Mark, there in a fishing boat, as well as two other brothers who were there as well, James and John. And now they're seeing Jesus on the mountaintop in a way that is blinding, is difficult to understand. He's been transformed. His body becoming like lyrics when they're connected to music to become a song. He's transfigured, a glimpse of the spiritual reality behind all things. It's a vision of Jesus, how Jesus might appear on the other side of the resurrection. It is a foretaste of what is to come. And Jesus is having a conversation with these heroes from the Old Testament. Now scholars argue about why he was talking to Elijah and Moses, what that means to have these two here. Most think that Elijah and Moses are symbols of the Hebrew Bible. Moses, a symbol of the law, called the books of Moses that helped guide and define what kind of people God's people would be. Elijah to be a representative of the the prophets. The call to return to God that echoes throughout history, to love, to care for the hurting. Perhaps that's the symbolism that's happening here. And they're having a conversation. Mark doesn't give us any details about it. And so I've wondered this week, what were they talking about? I sort of always imagine Moses and Elijah sharing with Jesus from their great wisdom and stories of the past. Perhaps they're here to teach and encourage Jesus as he faces his future. Or perhaps it goes the other way around. Perhaps Jesus is caring for these two. Jesus now standing on a mountain with Moses who led his people to a promised land, but never, if you remember the story, never himself got to go in. Now he sees the fulfillment of this journey in the Christ who's come to set everybody free, to bring all people home. Elijah, spending his life calling God's people to turn and see God and now sees how God has turned to see humanity in Christ. This story is this powerful image of the curtain between heaven and earth being pulled back to help us see what is there beyond our imagination. It's heaven breaking open like it did when Jesus was baptized or like it will at the end of Mark when 
The curtain in the temple that is to separate the holy God from humanity tears in two. What's happening on this mountain? Why is it here? A few verses before we read this text, Jesus and his disciples had been talking. They were talking about what was going to happen with Jesus. And and Peter has just confessed that Jesus really is Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the rescuer. He is God with us. And the disciples are just starting to get it. And Jesus says, yes, that's true. And oh, by the way, I'm going to have to suffer and die. The text says, after six days. It's been six days since that conversation. All that information must have been overwhelming and confusing. Why would our Savior, our Rabbi, our leader suffer and die? How could God in flesh be killed? What does he mean by rising again? I have to wonder if the relationship between Jesus and Jesus' followers changed after that conversation as they absorbed all this new information has that ever happened with any of your, your relationships? When some new information drops and there is a change in expectations, a reevaluation of what you will be to each other. It's happened for me with lots of relationships, with friendships. I think of my college friends as we gathered later in life and realized we are not the same 19 year olds. <laughs> Things are different. And it's happened in In my marriage, as we learn more about ourselves and grow, we are not the same naive 23-year-olds that thought we should get married in a field between a Texas dance bar and a cemetery in 90 degrees. (laughs) Certainly, I did not need a three-piece suit in 90 degrees. So think about these moments in, in our marriage. I wonder, what does the change mean for us? For our future, how does knowing more about myself or this other person change things? I wonder what the disciples were wondering as they learned this information about Jesus, that the Jesus they'd been following would go away. I wonder if the disciples were peeking at job listings for fishing openings when Jesus wasn't looking. I wonder if they wondered how if everything that good that had gone before wasn't really as good as they thought. Perhaps that's why Jesus brought these three close friends with him to the mountain. Perhaps they were the ones most unsettled and confused as they discovered more about who Jesus is. Perhaps they were beginning to pull back. Maybe they were unwilling to endure the pain that might come with following this one who would die. We do that, don't we? We pull back. I'm a military brat. And so I know what it's like when you find out that your best friend is moving across the globe. When you find out that you're about to leave all of your friends, right? When you feel like you just are getting to know them. And in all my years in military families, I've observed there are, there are two responses that come to upcoming departures. The first I'll call the withdrawal People just say, I'm going to begin this separation now. I'm going to numb myself to any coming pain, any more closeness. I'm just going to start moving on. 
If we stop connecting, there won't be any more wounds. The other response I've seen is what I'd call the embrace. Let's make these last moments count together. Let's embrace the ending and enjoy it. I remember one of my very best friends left. And the weekend before he moved away, we decided we would beat our favorite video game from start to finish in one sitting. It took us 27 hours. We slept in shifts. I remember him leaving, and I didn't see him again for 11 years at his wedding. But we embraced the end. I can't help but think that Jesus wants his closest friends to see him and know him even deeper as the relationship changes. Jesus wants to embrace with them, to give them something to hold on to when the goodbyes happen and the uncertainties roll in, to help them when the stained glass gets dark. So there on the mountain they see Jesus dazzling to confirm that Jesus really is worth following. They discover more about who Jesus is that will anchor them in remaining days of challenge. Let's keep reading the story. This part is great and funny. Mark 9, 5 and 6. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. I love this. Peter says a whole bunch of stuff, and Mark says he had no idea what to say. <laughs> have you been there when you're saying all the things while well, you have no idea what to say? Peter's just like us. He's overwhelmed by what he is seeing, and, and, and so he gets busy with some busy work. Ah, we could build tents. Let's build tents. Clumsily, though, beautifully, Peter goes with the embrace himself. Let's make a tent for the three of you. You can all linger longer. We can stick around here on the mountaintop. I wonder even if Peter fears that, that this really is the end already for his relationship with Jesus. I mean, Elijah and Moses, they kind of poof away in our Old Testament. They have these bizarre endings to their story, and maybe he thinks Jesus is about to do the same Maybe Peter's just trying to hold on, delay, prevent the suffering that might come for Jesus. And he's also miscalculated a bit. He wants to create these three booths for these three figures as if Moses and Elijah are equal to Jesus, but he's about to be corrected. This is Mark 9, 7. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and out of the cloud came a voice, This is my son, the beloved, listen to him. So Jesus is there dazzling, right? And then all of a sudden a cloud makes everything cloudy. Isn't that our experience with God? Moments of deep connections, time of distance and hiddenness. Days we find ourselves overshadowed by the cloud. Days when the stained glass is full of light. Days when it's hidden in darkness. Many of us have these deep, profound, exciting experiences with God. 
You may want to recreate those, grab back onto them, find just those experiences and those highs, seeking that again and again, wanting to build tents and just stay right there. But much of our faith, like the disciples, is lived out in mundane daily living and serving and tasks. So the cloud comes and Peter, like us, gets some help for how to live when we aren't on the mountaintop. It's a voice. It's a voice like what we heard at Jesus' baptism back in Mark 1. And it says some of the same words, this is my son. Notice it's singular. This is my son. There's no emphasis here on Moses or Elijah, but Jesus, this is God in flesh with you, my son. And when this voice spoke at Jesus' baptism, it was a message more for Jesus, right? You are my son. I'm proud of you. But now it's a message for the disciples. This is my son and listen to him. Now Jesus doesn't speak or say anything. We might expect some instructions. We don't get it. What do you mean listen? I think the voice is reminding Peter to listen to what he's already heard. When God feels distant to listen to what Jesus has said. When I think about the changes in my own life, in Brittany's life, in our, in our marriage, perhaps a helpful exercise for me has been to, to listen to what we said before. You know when we made vows to each other on those 90 degrees? To remember when my insecurities bubble up what she said to me that day and what I said to her to commit to this relationship regardless. Perhaps it's similar advice for our relationships with God. With words of Jesus that we can cling to, words that are not ever broken. Listen to what Jesus said. When things are hard or we are different, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. The reality is, the way people think about faith and church and Christianity is changing. Throughout history, people have taken Scripture and they have twisted it to use it as a weapon. But I'm a Christian because of Jesus. And I love this text because if Moses and Elijah represent the Hebrew Bible, it's interesting that the voice reminds the followers here to listen specifically to Jesus. Now the voice doesn't say disregard Moses and Elijah. But it is a reminder of who is at the center, who is worthy of worship, to let Jesus be the lens, the center of our faith, the center of our living, the center for how we engage with Scripture. Way back in the 300s, yeah, the 300s, St. Augustine said, if our interpretation of Scripture ever conflicts with what is discovered in science, it's good to reevaluate our interpretation of Scripture. He said that in 300. I love that. And it is great advice. See, because people have, have interpreted Scripture to fit what they think about the world already, to say things like, ah, yes, the earth is flat, and the Bible confirms it. Well, good luck with that. It's a really bad reading of Scripture. People have interpreted Scripture as a geology textbook. It is not a very good geology textbook. 
They've interpreted scripture to confirm things they already thought, like slavery is okay, or women should be ignored, or our LGBTQ siblings are unwelcome. But sometimes we need to reevaluate our interpretation. And in the same way, when we are interpreting the Bible, if that interpretation ever conflicts with the words and the characters of Jesus, perhaps we should reevaluate our interpretation. Listen to him. So when God feels distant, listen to him. When people use scripture against you, listen to him. When things are dark and confusing, listen to him. See, because his words don't have to be distant. His teachings and his life doesn't have to be distant. We have been given these four gospel accounts and all of Scripture pointing to this king. Listen to him. The reformer Martin Luther once said, to those who feel that they can't see God, that you should put, put your eyes in your ears <laughs> and listen. Listen to his words and his life, his love Quite literally, be silent and still and listen. Be still and know that I am God. Listen to him. And look at what happens next. This is verse 8 and 9. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw that no one was with them anymore, but only Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they see this dazzling thing, then there's a cloud, and there's a voice, and now Jesus is with them. And things are kind of back to the way they were. They are walking down the mountain. And Jesus says, don't talk about this. Not, not until I rise from the dead. Which is a big thing to say. They're thinking, wait, this rise from the dead thing. <laughs> Can we go back to that? Can we talk more about that? But Jesus understand that this glimpse that they've been given of who Jesus is, God with us, fulfiller of all of the Scripture, the one we should listen to clearly, this clear revelation of who God is, that all of that is understood more fully after He suffers and dies and rises again. That this transfiguration doesn't make sense until we reckon with the cross. That Jesus, God in flesh, was willing to die at the hands of his creation because of his love. This is the fullest revelation of who God is. This is what is unveiled. This is what is revealed. That God is a God who would love us even to the point of death would defeat death and welcome us all to the family. Peter would write about this himself in the second letter of Peter in the first chapter. For Christians who themselves felt like God was distant, Peter wrote this in 2 Peter 1, first in verse 13, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, to refresh your memory. And then 16, we do not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been eyewitnesses to his majesty. 
We have received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice was conveyed to Him by His majestic glory, saying, This is My Son, My Beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. I was reminded of that stained glass window in my church because I was listening to a podcast about this text this week, actually. And this writer and pastor was talking about this text and how in his church, like ours, there was a stained glass window in the back, a stained glass window of Jesus. And like my home church, they did not have lights. And he was sharing how during one evening service, the sun was going down and he noticed throughout the service that Jesus was kind of disappearing in the back. He felt in that moment this connection between what was happening to the glass and what so many of us feel. God sometimes feels far away. When we confess that we believe that Christ is present, but sometimes it's hard to see. Like the stained glass, it doesn't mean he's not there, but certainly there are times when he's harder to see. And he said that while Jesus was going dark in the back, a couple people in the congregation were singing a gospel song. The song, Soon and Very Soon, with these lyrics. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. No more crying there. We're going to see the King Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. And I have to wonder that if on the days that were to come for Peter, James, and John, the days when Jesus was beaten and killed, the days when they ran and hid, the day when they found that empty tomb, the days that would come when they go and share what they have seen, as Jesus told them to do after he rose from the dead, I wonder how often they went back to this moment on the mountain. When things were dark and difficult, were mundane and boring, when days were hard, did they remember this glimpse and say, soon and very soon we're going to see the King again? that this glimpse of who Jesus is, what He says and how He lives, what we find in Scripture, could be for us a reminder, an encouragement, and a hope. That like this darkened stained glass, we may not always see Him, but He is always here. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are always with us, even when there are times when you seem distant. We thank you for the gift that it is that you embrace us. That you would give us things like your scripture and your spirit and your church. To help us to listen to you. So Lord, this morning we pray that we would see you. And whether we can or cannot see you, Lord, we pray that we would listen. Lord, and as we listen, I pray that we would be people who tell.
soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. No more crying there. We're going to see the king. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or looking for ways to support God's work through our church, visit bcwc.org.